So last week I had an opportunity to, uh, or two weeks ago now I think it was, I had an opportunity to head out to Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm on the board for Champions in Action, which is our kind of partner in Guatemala, which, uh, with which we do some work over there with, and a handful of you guys have already been on that trip. And actually, if you're interested in going, we have kind of a team meeting today at 1 o'clock uh, over in one of the kids' classrooms. So if you want to come with us, you want more information, you can do that. But So I'm on the board with that, and so we did um, our board meetings in D.C. this year because we're looking to launch uh, a second kind of branch of Champions in Action in D.C., uh, working with the refugee kids uh, that are kind of being, you know, planted there and their first entry into the country. And so do soccer and mentorship uh, through church partnership out there. And so we got to take a week and just be out there. And it was a good time. And and one of the things I got to do on kind of an off day with some of the other guys from the board was go to uh, to the, was it the National Museum of the Bible? Okay. Um, and, And it was honestly, it was this phenomenal day. Because uh, it's literally like six stories dedicated to the impact of the Bible in the whole world, right? Uh, and it's not even necessarily like a Christian thing. Like it's, it's really meant to kind of get into, man, the impact of Scripture uh, in the world. This is a phenomenal place to be. But I want to share this quick story of my arrival. So I, I walk in, um, and, and what the way they did it is based on donations. They've made it so that uh, if you want to go in there, it's a $15 shift suggested donation. And so you don't technically have to pay anything to get into this place, but you know you, they suggest, hey, if you want to help out, uh, 15 bucks, that type of thing. And so I, I pull up the thing, I see this, and I know most people are coming through the line. They're like, well, sweet, like it suggested. I suggest that I give nothing, right? And so, uh, and so they go, and then they leave. And so I look down the pipe, and there's the guy standing next to me, and he does that. He says, he goes, well, how much is it? They say, oh, it's actually, it's kind of free. Suggested donation. He goes, great. And so he takes his ticket and walks away. And so I'm talking to the guy, and, and so I see, he goes, uh, here, man, here's your tickets. He doesn't even bring up money at all. Uh, and I say, well, hey, man, I'd love to, I'd love to donate. You know, I, I think this works probably pretty good. It's great to know that people are, like, delving into learning about the Bible. And he says, you want to you wanna donate? I said, yeah, man. I, in fact, like, I'd love to donate my share, and let me, let me donate for that guy, too, right? Like, I'll, I'll donate for the, for the both of us, and I think the work here is good. And his line to me, which is just really funny and honestly very telling, was, uh, you actually read this thing, don't you? Right? Now, now here's what I found really interesting about that, is, is that's not a let's toot Vince's horn, he could afford $30 type of thing. Um, that's a how low has the bar gotten for Christianity that a suggested donation was the thing that really tipped him off that I read scripture. Like, it was very telling. As I began to kind of walk through this museum and look at exhibit after exhibit of the impact of scripture and the way it's literally transformed the world. And all it took was a $15 suggested donation to get this guy to think, man, this guy must read this thing. And so what we're going to experience as we start the book of Ephesians, which we begin today and we will be in for the next 40 weeks, okay, um, is an opportunity to actually see where the bar is at. Um, Because Ephesians is going to give us a very clear glimpse into a really heavy theology of what, man, what is God about? What is the Bible about? What is the gospel about? And we have to actually like learn and process and I I think apply. And then then when we leave these type of places, when we learn, we actually have to put that into practice. Um, And I think what's going to happen, hopefully, is that for gentlemen like the guy who took my 30 bucks, like the bar will be raised because the Bible's bar is way higher than suggested donation, right? 
right? Like the, the, the calling of scripture is the self-sacrificial pouring out of your entire life, not 15 bucks, okay? Um, and so I think, unfortunately, the Christianity of the day has kind of become this suggested donation type of Christianity. Like, hey, guys, like what we'll study today and over the next 39 weeks after this is just mere suggestion for the Christian life. And I want you to just hear me say on the front end, like, there will be some stuff that I'll say that will be suggestion, just like, hey, maybe this would be a good idea of how to apply what is not suggestion, what is biblical mandate for what it means to be a Christian in this world today. And so that's what Ephesians is going to offer us, and I'm really, really excited to get into it with you guys. And so um, let's, today's kind of an intro to it with a little bit of kind of why it's important, why we should care. And so let me give you some context for the book. First, Ephesians, right? It's written to the church in Ephesus, okay, which was uh, kind of the capital city of Asia Minor, this, this giant Asian kind of uh, region during the, uh, within the Roman Empire. And so Ephesus was this major city, this major cultural port, right? So it was located on the ocean, and so you had boats coming in and boats coming out. Like, think New York City, right? Think Charleston, think New Orleans, think uh, Seattle, any of the major ports of, uh, of, of our country, right? Where you see this, like, this diverse cultural reality, because constantly you have new people coming in, old people going out, and there's this overturn consistently. And what Ephesus saw throughout its history was it would be ruled by someone, then it'd be taken over, ruled by someone else, taken over, ruled by someone else, and taken over. And so you had all of this culture, all of this background, all of this diversity poured into one town, right? Now, at the center of it all was this god named Artemis, right? Now, let me read you just, this is from a secular kind of historian talking about the god Artemis with which the city of Ephesus had revolved around for literally thousands of years. And so uh, let me read this quote. It says this about Artemis. It says, the whole of nature was subject to this primitive goddess. It is by her orders that the earth brings forth fruit and flowers. She rules the elements, the air, the earth, and the sea. She governs the life of the animals. She tames the wild beasts and prevents their extinction. She assists in birth. As the ruler of civilization, each year she was celebrated almost everywhere in great festivals as the fertility goddess and granted innumerable prayers. She was described as the bee goddess, and on one side of the Ephesus coin was to be found the inscription, in quotes, the queen bee as the symbol of Artemis. And we all know there's only one queen bee, okay? <laughs> only like half of you thought that was funny, great. Um, so this, this, this god, this goddess, Artemis, was like literally like the city was built around her temple. And, and this is not unlike many of the older American cities, right? That, I mean, a lot of times when one of the kind of early settlers would come in, they would build the church and then they built the city around the church. Now, Artemis's temple kind of was like that. It was the central meeting place, the focus, the marketplace area for the entire community. So everything revolved around this goddess who, if you heard the description, doesn't sound all that different from what we would ascribe to Jesus. And so now you think through this. You have Paul, who's the author of this letter, we'll talk about more of him in just a moment, trying to preach and lead a people in a culture that is diametrically opposed to what they believe, right? Why? Because they've already had their own and found their own and lifted up their own goddess that comes against the God of the Bible. Now, here's why I think this context is super important for us as we kind of dive into this over the next 40 weeks is, man, that's just our story now. 
right? That, and maybe it's not just, it's not Artemis, right? We're not going to find like a, a, a temple necessarily in the city center of Flagstaff that would be that, but rather these individually propped up gods that our culture and all of us have that war against the God of the Bible. And so you and I as Christians are in this place like they were to have to navigate how do we live in the cultural tension of, man, we have a Lord and a Savior that demands things of us that is truth and goodness against a world that says, no, we've already got one, right? And so what does it look like for you and I to navigate that in faithfulness, right? And Ephesians, I think, is going to offer that to us. The church there was probably fairly large, okay? Uh, Paul had visited Ephesus twice up this at one point spending over two years there investing and sharing the gospel the church had probably gone and even this letter probably goes beyond just the church right in the city center uh, but kind of uh, going out to the other little branches of the church in Asia Minor so this letter would have been shared amongst kind of the whole region so again fairly important Authorship, Paul. Uh, Paul, if you don't know Paul, he was uh, at one point the, the former like, greatest persecutor of the church, converted to become the greatest evangelist of the church. His story is chronicled through like the last two-thirds of the book of Acts, which we just finished last year. And so if you want to go back and reference, uh, you can do so. And so Paul writes this letter, though, from prison, right? Uh, and here's what I love. This is four years after he had left the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, four years after that, four years after his farewell in Acts chapter 20, where he says this in verse 24, okay? He, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race, completing the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace, right? I consider my life worth nothing. So whatever happens, whatever calamity befalls, because the Ephesian elders were saying, hey man, like this, this could go bad. Like if you leave us, who knows what could happen to you? And he says, no, but I, I consider my life worth nothing to me. You have to understand, like I, I lay it down for the sake of Christ. It's not suggested donation. It's the mandate of God on my life is to go. I, I lay it down, right? And then four years later, I love it. He's now writing this letter from prison, right? And on all the things you imagine he would want to say, he pours out, and, and honestly, one, is the, one of the most beautiful pieces of literature uh, in the history of the world, right? And, and that's what we, we get to study, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, last part to kind of context, structure of the book. Uh, so, uh, so chapters 1 through 3, uh, the first half, it's a six-chapter book, so chapters 1 through 3, um, they're going to give us the gospel story. Right, um, kind of all the background, the theology, the weight, the depth, all this stuff. Going to talk about the gospel and really frame it in a way that kind of like comes both to the heart and to the head and allows us to wrestle through that. Now, uh, the first word of chapter four is the word therefore. Right, so we know whenever you see a therefore that it builds off of everything previously. And so chapter four, and that word is the linchpin turn moment where it goes from gospel story to your story, right? In other words, like gospel centrality, you know, understanding, knowing, believing, acknowledging the gospel so that you live out the gospel in your life. So what Ephesians again gives us is this great overarching narrative of, man, we need to be centered on the gospel, love the gospel, know the gospel, and that is the motivator for Christian living, right Christian living, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right? This is the way they are connected, and we're going to try and get little glimpses of that every single week as we go through the word, okay? And so... Um, 
Last thing I want to say before we finally jump into the text is just why I think this is important for our context today. Um, Luke, sorry, the, the medication that I, I took last night is still making my mouth very dry. Um, the, one of our pastors down at our Redemption Gateway campus kind of came up with a tagline for the series, and um, it's kind of long and not catchy, so I don't really like it, but uh, like, I like that it's, it's like helpful, I think, for us as we kind of investigate what we're going to be studying over the next 40 weeks. And so um, it is foundational realities for being equipped for tomorrow's world, okay? Uh, now, now, the tomorrow's world part kind of throws me off because, I mean, like, no offense to him, but he's down in Gateway. Sorry, Gateway is kind of like Southeast Phoenix. And Southeast Phoenix is, they're just, it's not Flagstaff, right? So, I mean, like, tomorrow's world in some ways is kind of like today here. In a lot of the kind of the cultural progressiveness, we're actually ahead of the curve. When, let's be honest, it's Flagstaff. So, like, technology, we're like 10 years behind. And so anything cool in Phoenix, like, could be the way you dress. Like, this will be cool, or this was cool. This was never cool. But, like, if you're, if you're, if you're hip, right? Like, that was hip in Phoenix five years ago. Sorry about it. Okay, and so... Um, and so the reality is I think like tomorrow's world, honestly, like I look and I experience and I'm out there like you guys are here in our city of Flagstaff. And like tomorrow's world in some ways I think is today's world here. Um, and so I want to characterize a little bit of that. And um, before I kind of get into kind of that breakdown, um, let me just, just share this. Like I, I used to be able to, um, to like open up Google News and I don't know if how, how often you guys try and read the news and the headlines and what's going on in, in our country, in our state, in our world. Um, but I try and do that pretty frequently. I love kind of getting into the Daily Sun and seeing just kind of what random things are happening in Flagstaff, as boring as sometimes they might be, that we just kind of know what's happening in our city. And for a long time, man, I could open up Google News and scroll through the whole thing um, and not be all that emotionally impacted by it. Like, it would just kind of, oh, like, cognitively, I would read some stories of, of pain and hurt, uh, of things that would happen both overseas and, and domestically, and, and, like, I'd be like, man, that, that's terrible, and that's hard, and my mind could wrap around the difficulty of the realities that are upon our world. Um, but, man, I'll be honest, like, my heart was always a bit disconnected, and I don't know what it's been, but really over the last kind of couple years, it could be kids, uh, it could be just Verity finally wearing me down, you know, like, hey, you need to feel something, you know, that type of thing. Um, it could be a handful of other things in my life. Um, but, man, it, it's getting increasingly more difficult uh, f- for me to make it through Google News or Flag Scanner, if anyone you follow is that, right, on here in Flagstaff on Facebook, right, just news of what's happening in town. It- it's getting a lot harder for me to make it through without my tears welling up um, be- because the brokenness of the world is just so prevalent. And it's, it's like, I-, I think I'm starting to see, maybe because it's, you know, we're in, we're in five years of this church now, and so maybe we're just hearing more stories on the ground, and it's softening stuff. I- I'm not really sure, but I mean, like, just, just most recently, right? Like, if, I don't know how many of you guys have been following the story of, uh, of the U.S. women's gymnastics team and everything that's been going on there with Larry Nasser and this, this guy, this doctor who was kind of supposed to be caring for these women, and yet, man, we have, like, dozens upon dozens of women that are coming out saying that he sexually molested them over the course of years, and I'm watching these videos as Ali Raisman, former gold medalist, is like sharing about these stories. And like you just begin to actually like hear these words and you say to yourself, like, this just is not right. 
Like, this is just so broken. Like, and, and, then, and then what happens is I think we, we look at a guy like Larry Nasser and we say, man, that, that guy's evil, right? And yes, maybe. But I honestly fear in some ways, like, is he all that much more evil than I? Right? And, so, and let me be like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, hey, that would be something I would do. I don't think so, but I don't think it was something Larry Nasser thought he was going to do when he was 18 either. Because right? the reality of sin is that it starts here, and then it, it kind of moves here, and then another bad decision. And we, we often say here that each and every one of us, I think, are three to five bad and terrible decisions away from calamity. Because the, such is the power of sin to try and nonstop rule over the heart of man and lead us unto evil actions. And so anyway, I, I, the reason why I bring all of this up is say, man, I want to look at those stories and acknowledge, man, these are, these are real things that are happening, and we are not devoid of them. Whether they're happening to us or they're happening by us, we need Jesus. And here, the world needs Jesus. And the church is the one that, I want to say possesses Jesus in the sense like, we, like he possesses us, obviously. But I'm saying like we possess the gospel story, the good news of freedom and redemption and restoration and hope and freedom from sin and, and, and social justice and care. and Like that's what we do. And yet if we live a suggested donation type of Christianity, man, the world is hoping and groaning and longing for something more, and we have an answer, yet we don't do much about it. So what I think, again, Ephesians will do for us as it equips us for today's world is that hopefully, man, we begin to hear less stories like that. And it becomes easier for the people of God to read the news. Like that's, that's, maybe, maybe that's fool's hope, right? But I think, I think the church possesses the power to do that through Jesus. Okay? So, so let's look at uh, tomorrow's world. And I'm going to run through these really quick. And uh, we're only covering four verses today. So if you're freaking out, we're not in the, not in the scripture yet. Just, just be patient. Okay. Um, I think tomorrow's world, today's world, um, number one, I think they're confused about God. Um, like, could there, is there a God, right? Uh, and, and what's he like? Like, if, if there is a God, why, and insert kind of all the whys that are around that. Like, I think it's our whole culture and the whole idea of a God, man, it just, eh, doesn't make a ton of sense. So people often very spiritual, uh, but they kind of reject religion because it kind of ties them in a little bit. So I think just that whole idea people are confused about. I, I think people are confused about purpose, uh, like, is there meaning for my life? Like, ultimately, like, is there, like, deep, like, deep level rooted meaning and purpose for why I exist? Like, is there deep meaning and purpose for this world? And is it headed a direction? And is that direction the right direction? Like, I think people are wrestling with these ideas. I, I think people are kind of confused around how to negotiate pluralism, right, with, with multi-ethnic and, and, and multi-whatever, right? Like trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be this man, all-inclusive, diverse society and yet have to wrestle through difference. And, and I don't know if we're doing a wonderful job all the time in that. And so I think there's confusion about how to navigate that well. I think um, people are, are skeptical of the church, right? And, and we've kind of already talked about some of the reasons that may exist, like just why the church? And this isn't even just amongst the non-Christian community, it's amongst the Christian community. Like, well, I mean, like, listen up, like, why? I got a relationship with Jesus, and so why be part of the church? And so I think people are trying to navigate that. I think people are confused about morality. What, I mean, what's right and wrong, and is there truly 
a right and wrong? Like, is there an absolute? There's, I don't know how many people, let's by a show of hands, a bit older, so some of you young bucks might know this, but have seen the movie History of the World Part 1, okay? Anybody? Man, not enough of you. Okay. We are actually going to show a movie today. Um, <laughs> History of the World Part 1 uh, is a Mel Brooks film, and he did Spaceballs. Maybe you've seen Spaceballs. Uh, classic. And so... Um, History of the World Part One is this kind of satirical look through, uh, kind of look through history. And so there's this moment where Moses, like he comes around, coming down Mount Sinai, and he comes around the corner, and you know he's coming down after receiving the Ten Commandments from God, right? And he comes around the corner, and he's holding three tablets and 15 commandments, right? And he walks up, and he goes to take a step, and he goes, Hear ye, O people of God! And as he goes to say, Hear the 15 one of them falls and smashes on the ground. And so here are the f- Ten Commandments of God, right? And, and I think like there's, a, there's kind of this felt feeling. I was watching the film. I was like, man, that's, I think people kind of view like rules that way. Like, ah, we kind of just made them and they kind of changed. God didn't really mean it. Like we can contextualize and we can change. I bet you just some have fallen off anyway. Like I think it's just kind of more of a, eh, type of thing, a suggestion on the way life is to be lived. And so I think there's confusion around morality. Um, I think there's people uh, that are just very confused about, about family and family in general, about, man, like, should I be married, right? Like, is marriage even a good thing? The marriage rates are dropping significantly, right? Especially, like, under the millennial generation. A lot of you are like, oh, I don't want to do that for, like, that boys are annoying, you know? Uh, it was just true. And so, like, like how, like, so is marriage even a good thing? Like, should we, should we do this? What, what ultimately is marriage? What, is, is family a good thing? Like, do I want these kids who are going to be the worst and the best at the same time? Like, and so, like, do, and so there's all these questions around kind of this thing that used to be such a central part of our world, okay? Um, I think people are confused, uh, lastly, about, about identity. Like, who am I? right? Like, like in all sorts of reasons. Who am I and what shapes me? Is it my experiences? Is, what, is it what I feel? Is it what I think? It's what people say. It's what people expect, etc. I think people are wrestling through and confused about, well, what does identity look like in today's world, right? And these, I'm not saying these questions are like brand new to culture. I think in different seasons, there's just been more or less of this type of question, but I say these are prevalent now, and the book of Ephesians is going to tackle every single one. Okay. And so I say all of this by way of intro because I want you to care, right? And here's the thing. I can't force you to care. Uh, that's a heart thing on you. But I'm going to do my best to try and implore you to care about this and to listen and to engage and to ask questions and to read your Bibles and to pray and to get into small groups and to do Bible study and to show up to church and to talk to people about Jesus. Like I am going to encourage you because I need you to care not because it has anything to do with me or Redemption Church. I think it has to do with the mission of God and the hope of the world. And so I want, us, I want us to care. And, I, and I, hopefully if we see the world that is longing for some of the stuff that we're being taught through the Spirit and God's Word, um, man, that will kind of move us a little bit. Okay, so a long intro to say, man, please just care and engage and, and make that kind of like choice and that commitment. Now, um, I forgot to bring one up, but we have, is Andy in here? No? Do you got uh, one of those books, Andy? She's going to get one. We, we put together uh, these study guides for you guys. And so um, there's, I think we're going to do three of them over the course of the 40 weeks. So I think it's, you want to toss that up here? Um, and so I want you guys to pick one of these up. 
Um, it says Ephesians on the front side. Sorry, Je- Jess got us one. Thanks, Andy. Everyone, Andy? <laughs> what? You're, get your steps in. Totally, 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 um, And so, oh, nice. All right. Uh, so, you know, it says Ephesians on the front. Uh, as you turn through it, it'll have the scripture passage that we're going through week to week. It's going to have questions. It's going to have, hey, like, there's this random thought that maybe you never thought of, all that kind of stuff, and it has a ton of room for you to write and to journal. And so I don't, if you don't journal, I don't care. Pick one up. Like, start today. This thing is really helpful. A lot of really smart people in our church put a lot of really good time into it. And so pick these up. Um, they're $2, okay? Um, if you don't have two dollars like to your name just take it like we'll, we'll swallow the two bucks for you okay and so um but if you got two bucks uh man just pick one of these up if you don't just pick one up we'd love for everyone like honestly i would love if every week when i say like hey we're doing this you open up your bibles to whatever chat passage we're doing and you open this thing up in the same way right and we start working through the stuff because we care to be god's people okay so um holy cow it's 1002 um i blame the medication ephesians 1 that I didn't take. I can't keep using that thing. Okay, Ephesians 1, 1 through 4. And again, we'll, this is interesting, so we'll move quick. I said already a lot of kind of what's in this. But here we go. Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, we've already learned a lot of these terms. And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is his intro, right? Like if if we began to write letters to each other like this, you'd think we're crazy. But Paul, not speaking to people for four years, man. So he's trying to denote and connote to them his love and everything that he thinks is necessary for godly living. And so he starts off right here and offers up this this beautiful greeting, which is very different from the greeting that most letters within that region would have been written in. And here's what I mean. So most Greek and most Jewish letters, when they would be written, they had two main focuses, right? The first one, for most Greek letters, it would begin with rejoice, and it would talk about celebration. That was a Greek letter would be, uh, the initial salutation would be about rejoicing, right? Because, man, the Greek kingdom and there's kind of this thought of just like the glory of, uh, of Greece in the same way you had kind of the glory of Rome. And so I mean, it would start with this word rejoice. Um, now, Jewish letters would often start with mercy, which makes sense if you know a bit of the story of the Jewish people, that constantly they're making terrible decisions, and it's the mercy of God, the relenting mercy of God that keeps them from destruction. And so they offer mercy in the salutation of their letters. But here Paul does, little, does something a little different and offers what? Grace and peace. No, this is an intentional kind of subversion of the common vernacular of the time to say, mercy is good. We're not saying anything bad about mercy. Uh, Rejoicing is good. But man, if we're getting the heart of the gospel, which again, chapters one through three are about, if we're getting the heart of why we're supposed to have Christian lives that look like Jesus, then, then grace and peace. The cause and the effect. Because of grace, you experience peace. Cause and effect. And in verse 2, he gives the how. So grace enables peace, and how that all comes together is what? In Christ. And you're going to hear this, these two words over and over and over and over throughout the book of Ephesians. That everything that happens, that every way we apply well, has to happen in Christ. 
It has to be in him, through him, by him, employed by him, taught by him, shaped inside us by him and the power of the Spirit, like in Christ. Now, the reality is, is that what we can see, we can be in all sorts of other things. Like you can be in fame, in status, in insert your idolatry or whatever idol you may have. You can be in that. In other words, that could encompass all of you. How many people watch The Walking Dead? Okay. I was like, okay, we're a church, I guess. Um, I don't. Um, there's a guy, the main villain in the story right now is this guy named Negan, okay? Uh, and here's the thing, all of his little kind of like, like sub-villains that go out and do terrible things, whenever they're asked, hey, what's your name or who are you? They say, I am Negan, right? Th- that's their response, which is very creepy, okay? And so, but here's what they're, they're ambassadors for the real Negan, right? They're saying like, listen, you want to know who I am? Everything I am is under the banner of this guy. And so if you're trying to figure out Negan, just look at me. And that is what is true about then being in Christ means you are, when people say, hey, who are you? It's a little weird to say, I am Jesus. I get that. Um, but, but like you are Christ. Like you are brought into, grafted into him. And so everything now, your whole life must be grafted in Christ. That everything he becomes, as it says right there, Lord Christ Jesus. Now again, this is Paul being intentional with word choice, using the word Lord here, knowing full well that all of the lordship would have already been attributed in the Ephesian culture to Artemis. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not that God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He runs and rules absolutely everything. Okay? And so this is the... um, excuse me, the intentional dichotomy that is created here, okay? And so um, the next two verses, verses three and four, um, that we'll look at today, they are the beginning of a uh, 202-word, 12-verse run-on sentence that is some of the most beautiful poetry in all of literature. But oftentimes, when you translate it in English, it just gets kind of gross, okay? Um, But the reality is, if you could go back and you could read it, right? Like, it's just this beautiful, intentional poem speaking to the gospel of Jesus, speaking to God and what he has done, is doing, and will do. And it is Paul intentionally putting it in there because in every other letter in the Bible that he writes, he does a different type of transition here. He normally does his kind of salutation. He sends it off to the church, and then he moves into, hey, and tell James I said hello, and tell you know, this guy has said hi, and he begins kind of his greetings. He doesn't start that till after this 12-verse poem. And I wonder if it's because he knew very well the battle that the Ephesian church was fighting. This battle against this other God, right? This other type of mentality, this constant pushback to say, before we get to just these greetings, man, let me tell you, and let's break down the gospel in some of those beautiful ways I know how to write it. And verses 3 and 4 become kind of the intro to this beautiful poem. And so let's, let's read those now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. He just keeps bringing in Lord. You see it like intentionally. Like remember, church, if you are his, he is Lord, which means what he says goes. This means he rules your whole life. Okay, keep going. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So praise be, blessed be God. Why? Because he has opened up the floodgates of spiritual blessing upon his people. 
had the opportunity to, I was living in Thailand for a while, and there was this moment where we heard that they were going to destroy, stop it, Andy. <laughs> That's you always have a hard time when I start talking about Thailand. Anyway, um, I don't know why I told you that. Okay, so we, we, they're going to destroy this dam. And, uh, and we're like, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. Let's see a bunch of water flow. And so we go and we watch, and they explode this dam, and you see just the water rush into the valley with, with power and with strength and with force. And it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And so about a month or so after that, we went back to that same area to see, man, like, what does it look like now? And literally, you began to see at the top level, like, almost all of the water had poured out. Like, it was just everything had flowed in. And so I think what we often think is, like, we're waiting on the blessing of God. Like, God, can you please pour out your blessings? Like, dude, I already did. Like, I opened up the floodgates, man. It's all fully poured out. Every spiritual blessing in Christ has been poured out on those who believe. And th- this is like, wow, right? Like, I mean, so every, there's nothing left. So if you want to write a hashtag blessed tweet or something, you can do that 24 7, 365. It doesn't have to come in some form. Something great doesn't have to. The reality for those in Christ is that you are blessed at all times because every spiritual blessing in Christ has been poured out in him upon those who believe. And so why why praise God? Because he has given us everything. Now, now the spiritual line, the spiritual word is very important here because we often think of blessing and we think of monetary, right? Like It's like, oh, man, I I got a bonus check. Blessed, you know? Uh, it's like my kid fell asleep, blessed, and that I get. That's really good. Okay, um, and so, but but so every spiritual blessing, so everything that God could do to redeem you, to win you, to restore you in the spiritual sense, like you are fully clean, beautiful, righteous, loved before the God of the universe that made you. All of that poured out on you all the time. Sometimes we miss it, but man, this is the truth of who we are. And we have to understand that if we're ever to give that away. Okay? If you don't receive and know the love, the grace, the freedom that is given in Christ, and you can't dole that out to anybody else yourself. Okay? And so, so that is the first kind of piece, this spiritual lesson. Why do we bless him? Because he's done this. And then why does he bless us? To make us holy and blameless before him. How often, okay, how often, verse 4, right, to make us holy, how often is your blessed moments in life tied to your holiness, right? How often are you thinking, man, I'm being made holy right now, and you think, now I'm blessed. Like, now I'm experiencing the realities of the blessing that he's poured out. Sometimes I think often, if I'm honest, so like all this pain that I've got going on in my body, I keep sharing new things that are breaking on me. Like that's because of stuff that I've done that was just dumb. Like, and like I'm reaping some terrible decisions of like not taking care of myself ever, you know? And so in, in some ways I think God is, tr- is trying to treat deeper things in my heart of like dependence on him and dependence on others and man, trying to probably knock down some pride, like all of this stuff. And he's working in the midst of it to make me holy. And yet, I I don't know if I would be like, gosh, you know, I got this sciatica. I have to go in for MRI. There's possible surgery. That's not an often hashtag blessed moment. But But in this reality, it is. That every spiritual blessing has been poured out that you would be holy 
that he would make you like him, holy, blameless, perfect. You see what he's doing here, what Paul's trying to, he's redeeming Eden. Like if you know all the way back to Genesis chapter three, in the fall, right? What is Adam and Eve's sin? They try and be like God, right? They want to know good and evil, that they could know and think and be like him. And so what I love, the beautiful picture of the gospel, how Jesus always is kind of subverting and redeeming and restoring terrible decisions of man is he's redeeming Eden by saying, you know what? I am going to pour every spiritual blessing in my son that was crucified for you so that you would become like me, the very thing that got you into this predicament that you and I could be restored together here and for eternity. Man, that is good news. And I think, hopefully, again, in my main thrust for today, it should make us care, right? It should make us, if this is true, if Jesus accomplished this for us and has poured this out, and this is the reality of my life today, man, we should probably care about that. It should probably transform and change us and then move us unto action, unto blessing for those around us, for our world, and for others. And so, um, uh, I'll, I'll land with this. Um, from time to time, I, I'm not a big journaler, but every once in a while I'll kind of do that. And, and if you guys have been at the church for a while, from time to time I'll kind of read something that I wrote, and it's just something that I'm praying through and something I'm engaged with. And so the song that we just sang right before I came up, In Christ Alone, which yeah, it's in Christ, right? In Christ Alone, these things happen. James talked about it. Um, I just kept listening to that song over and over and over over the last few weeks prepping for this sermon um, and I just began to kind of write this stuff. I mean, I was in this poetic form, and I'm not a poet, and it's not very good, but it's just something that's, I think, from my heart for us, and I don't want to read it to us, and then, um, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go. Um, it says this, In Christ, we're blessed with the goodness of God, the gift of grace, the mercy of our Messiah, the forever of forgiveness, the lavishness of love, the hope of hope, the presence of God's personhood, the care of community, the sanctification of the Spirit, promise of provision, security of salvation, and elation of eternity. Which means we've, us, the church, have been called to grow in goodness, give grace, meet out mercy, forever forgive, lavish love, hope and hope, partake in his presence, care for our community, shape the saints, provide provision, share salvation, and one day together enter eternity. And hopefully, man, Ephesians moves us as a people, as a church, as a family, to be able to embrace all that God is doing and pouring out so that we would do that very same thing for those that are hurting in our world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Sometimes, God, I misplace that love and I love other things. God, this is not a, a sermon series uh, for them uh, or for me. It is for all of us, God, to learn and to, and to be sanctified and made holy, to be constantly redeemed, restored, acknowledging everything you've already done that you want to do and that you will do in us. God, we pray for our, our world. God, you are the only hope, the only answer, the only truth. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of that, God, that you would constantly remind your church of that. 
that we would care, that we would pursue, that we would move, and we'd be shaped by your Spirit to go and give that away, God. We, we will not do this of our own volition. We're just, we, we just, we need you. And I, I'm learning more and more, God, my need for you. And I pray, God, that you would show our church, you'd show our people, you'd show, God, not just here, man, just show the church our great need for the God of the universe to come and to change us that we can be part of your changing mission for the world. God, we love you. We thank you. Praise be your name. Amen.